<laughs> it's always weird, isn't it? Pastor, come on, what am I supposed to do? Well, we are so glad you guys are here. Uh, I see some new faces out there, so we'll not embarrass you or ask you to sing a special this morning. That's not necessary. We're just glad you guys are here. I know most people, I know for me, if I go visit somewhere new and there's a lot of people, I just kind of want to be like a little bit um, behind the scenes, you know, and just check it out, kick the tires, so to speak. And I always hate when that salesman walks up and says, hey, are you interested in a new car? And I'm like, no, why, why would I be on this lot if I wasn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> so anyway, we're glad you guys are here, very thankful. Um, today, all across America, really all across the Western world, churches are celebrating an intentional effort to bring people together and invite communities to come join for worship. This is what we call Back to Church Sunday, which is um, a conspired event where all the churches came together and said, what if we just kind of made a moment toward the fall when people are getting back into school and just remind them how valuable, how important church is. So we are so glad that you guys are here. So coming off a year when many churches haven't been able to worship um, really in person. Um, we were like that for a while, and we're thankfully we're back to where we're actually wor- worshiping in-house and online at the same time, so we're glad we're doing that. But remember, the church is people. It's not a building. It's not just this place. We've talked about that in previous series. Um, the church is made up of its people. It's, uh, it's a collection of individuals who've, trans- who've trusted Jesus with their lives and choose to support one another in the journey. So again, church is not a building, it's people. So we're really glad you're part of us as a people. So we come together like this, and when we do, one of the things that we discover is we discover hope. Hope that empowers us to overcome anything that life can throw at us. So welcome to church. We're really, really glad you're here. Like Karen said, we're starting a new series today called Hope is Here. And I would argue that the greatest need that we have probably in the world that we live in right now is a sense of having a sense of hope because so many people are feeling hopeless. Some of us have experienced tremendous loss. We were just talking on the way this morning, um, some people who, who, uh, another another church where people had lost um, a leader who'd been in leadership for a very long time. COVID is taking people out. We just live in a really, really frightening world. So again, we just, we just need hope. So I want to start this morning with a story of, uh, of a father and two little boys. One little boy was a pessimist who never found anything good in the world, and the other, other little boy was an optimist who only found good in the world. And so the father was worried about both of them, so he decided to teach him a lesson. So he put the pessimist little boy into a room with a big pile of toys, thinking surely he'll find something good in there. And the little optimist boy he put into a room full of manure, <laughs> a big pile of manure. And so he left him in there for about an hour. He comes back about an hour later, and he walks into the, little, the room with a little pessimist boy, and he's over crying in the corner, and all he can say is, um, these toys are broken. They didn't last very long. I'm bored. I don't know if I want to live anymore. <laughs> and so he said, I'm really going to have to do more for him, but in the meantime, I'll go check on my other little boy. So he goes into the room with the optimist little boy, and he can't find him. So he calls out to him. And the little boy pops his head up from the pile just covered in manure. And the father's like, what are you doing? And he says, Dad, with all this poop in here, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) And so the church throughout history has had the audacity to have hope in the face of trouble. And it stems from the victories. Karen was talking about it earlier. Again, what an amazing worship time. It comes from the victory of the resurrected Jesus Christ. When things looked darkest for Jesus as he hung on the cross, he knew it was far from over, that that it wasn't the end, that he would defeat death, he would come back to life. And with this as the church's backdrop, we can have 
hope. Amen? So in the Gospels, Jesus was always offering hope to those around him, whether it was people with, who were suffering from disease, oppressive government from Rome, physical, spiritual needs, whatever it was, Jesus would meet people right where they were. The people in the Bible knew this truth, that if Jesus is here, then hope is here. Amen? So the first thing I want to talk about is just the fact that life is hard. In case you were wondering, <laughs> life is hard. And there are times when we're in need of a reminder that there's hope, that life circumstances have a, a way of just leaving us hope, hopeless. And I would argue that there's nothing in life that can steal our hope faster than when we're weary, than when we're tired, when we're worn out. I would imagine there are many people, both in this room and online, today who know exactly what that feels like, waiting for a diagnosis from a doctor, paying your bills, trying to save a marriage, enduring COVID, just trying to grow spiritually. There's a time like this when we feel we can't keep going on and we just want to give up. There's a famous phrase from an NFL coach, Vince Lombardi, and he said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was aware of the tendency of people to shoulder heavy burdens and for this to cause them to lose hope. So I want to just give you a little context before I read this scripture that I'm going to start with. Jesus was speaking to his followers about John the Baptist's faithfulness in the midst of prison and the questions he was asking about whether Jesus was who he said he was. He was losing hope. John was losing hope about whether or not Jesus was indeed the Messiah and if his work, if John's work had been in vain. So just having a moment like all of us have had. In light of this, Jesus speaks these words, and this is found in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What an amazing promise. He, he finishes out, he says, my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is doing just a couple of things in this passage. First of all, he's acknowledging that life is heavy. So often, we, especially nowadays, we live without any margin in our life, and it doesn't take long for that to go off the rails. We're hard on ourselves when things don't go well, and we work so hard to keep up with others, and what we do is we just get weary. And Jesus is just normalizing this. He's saying everybody experiences this, that we shouldn't feel like a failure when the circumstances of life take us out or almost take us out. Here's the reason why. Because when we feel like that, when we get into that mode of failure, what happens is two things. One, we shy away from going to God for help. It's one reason why understanding grace and the mercy and the gospel and the goodness of God is so very important because you will go to him for help in time of need if you understand grace. If you don't, you won't. And the second thing that we avoid doing is we avoid being vulnerable with each other. Say, how's it going? Man, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, really, how are, how are you doing? <laughs> but Jesus tells us that if we're weary, that we should come to him. What he's doing is he's giving us an invitation in this passage. Secondly, Jesus is actually offering a solution for the problem of weariness and brokenness. What he tells us to do is to exchange our yoke for another yoke. A yoke, we've talked about this recently, a yoke is a wooden harness that a farmer would attach to livestock to plow a field, or uh, to pull a cart. And the yoke would help keep the livestock safe, keep them from running off, and also help them to submit to what the farmer had in mind. But there were some people in Jesus' audience who were submitting to a way of life that was law-based and it was hard to live up to. I would submit that it was impossible 
to live up to. It was religious, it was legalistic, it was performance-based, it was driven by the need to succeed. The yoke that Jesus was offering was one of grace, mercy, compassion, and love. One yoke causes people to become weary, the other yoke causes people to find peace and to find rest. So he invites us to remove whatever yokes we had around our necks and to place his yoke upon us because it's easy, light, and it's going to give us rest. So the question I have for you is not, do you have a yoke? Everybody has some kind of yoke. We've talked about that before. The question is, is your yoke crushing or is it life-giving? So Jesus offers hope for the weary by reminding us that our value is not found in how well we hold it together when things get tough or how we compare to the people around us. Our value comes from the love that he has for us and the grace that he gives us. It really comes through in the paraphrase of the verse I read earlier in the Message Bible. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Did you know you could get burned out on religion? Did you notice in the Bible who got mad at Jesus the most? Religious people. He says, come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. You hear that? He's saying, if if you come to me and you exchange this yoke, if you do that, he said, you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, and I love this phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. It's not that you don't have rhythms. It's not you don't have things to do. It's not that you don't have purpose and you're giving something. As a matter of fact, sometimes you work even harder. But you work through the grace that God has given you, and in that work, you also find rest. He goes on. Unforced rhythms of grace, he says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Karen and I, we share this all the time, and maybe you guys have heard this, this statement. When we do small groups, if we do things at our home, if we do things in church, we try to make it lightweight and low maintenance. Have you heard us make that phrase, say that phrase a few times? Why do we do that? Because if we're not careful, we'll put so much weight on us on trying to make sure an event goes off perfectly or that we do everything well that we can't even be present in the event that we've been trying to put on. This last weekend, this weekend, we had a 24-hour prayer and worship time. It was an amazing time. If you had the chance to be here, it was great. Um, churches and worship teams from all over the region, not just Dothan, but all the region were here. And one of the leaders came to me, and he said something really cool. He said, you know, this is the easiest we've ever had it to get this thing going. And he was talking, he mentioned to Karen at some point about that wasn't just the physical things. So thanks to Jeremy and the team and our worship and all of our leaders who make it simple, make it lightweight and low maintenance, but also spiritually it was easy. Why? Because grace is the most important thing. So if you find yourself weary today, whether circumstances you can't control or situations that you are responsible for, I want to offer you hope. I want to offer you hope for a better tomorrow, hope for a true purpose, hope for a clean slate, and hope for peace and rest, that hope is found in one place and one place only. Maybe you can figure it out. (laughs) Because where Jesus is, hope is there. Amen? So there's something interesting about Jesus' illustration about this yoke. And that the yoke that that they would put these cows in weren't typically worn by a single cow. They were put in usually at least two, and they would put them together to work and to pull the plow. 
So we know that we should be yoked with Jesus. That's kind of common sense, and it makes sense as I've been reading this. But what we often miss, and what isn't apparent, is that we also, also should be yoked to one another, that God has called us to be together. We find hope when we recognize that we don't have to do life alone. The rest that we find in Christ is best experienced alongside others. So the church carries one another's burdens. This is how this works. So Paul's writing in Galatia to to the church in Galatia about the importance of living in community with one another, and he's making comments in light of avoiding sin. So that's a little bit of the context. But he makes an incredibly uh, an incredible point about how to live in this new way, this new life of Christ. And this is what he says in Galatians 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me read it again. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, when you do this, he said, you will fulfill the law of Christ. To live in line with the way of Jesus is to be willing to meet the needs of others, to be selfless. When we see someone else in the church who's weary or burdened and we come to their aid with joy, it brings hope to people. Burdens come in all shapes and sizes. It's not something you don't know. Some burdens are self-inflicted. I brought it on myself and I've done that and I'm sure you've done that too. But we can help shoulder these burdens by offering grace and forgiveness when these kind of things happen. And and probably the most important thing is a willingness to help navigate a better way. So often we come and we're like, hey, you screwed that up. And you're like, hey, thanks. That's super obvious now. (laughs) Right? Thanks for your insight. I did not know that (laughs) because the consequences have hit you. You know what's really helpful? Hey, man, there's a better way to do that. Right? There's a better way to do that. And so a willingness to help navigate a better way is what comes from being together. Some burdens aren't self-inflicted. They just happen to us. Divorce we didn't see coming, a sickness that was unexpected, a job loss that is absolutely devastating. I know a little bit about that one in my past. COVID throws, you know, throws us off. And in these instances, what happens is when we can carry one another's burdens, we bring a listening ear, we bring a meal. It just gets really, really practical in how we can help. And it's, and it's okay to ask. You don't have to just assume. You say, how can I help you? If we brought meals, would that take some pressure off you guys because what's going on in your home with the sickness or what's happening to you? And the answer is usually yes. So I want to tell you a quick story. Most of you guys know Josh and Beth Godwin. Beth, um, not too long ago, had a devastating um, brain injury. She worked with me here at the church part-time as an administrator And quite frankly, she did the work of two full-time people, even though she was only 20 hours a week. She is amazing. Beth is one of the most incredible women I know. She survived after an emergency brain surgery and lots of prayer, and she shouldn't have lived. We found out this later, but she had a 99% chance of dying. I don't know if you know, but that's probably a miracle, (laughs) right? So outside of more miracles, which we fully expect, She could have a ways to go before she gets back to normal, as if Beth was ever normal. (laughs) But her family rallied around her, of course. Her husband, Josh, is one of the strongest guys I know. He's incredible. But in his own admittance, he doesn't, this is what he said, he doesn't know where they would be without the help of the local church, what he calls his extended family. So many people have helped, prayed, Counsel, meeting spiritual needs, which is incredibly important. 
nurses, medical people in our, in our church have gone and spent the night and, and relieved Joshua and the family for an evening so they can get much-needed rest. People have delivered meals. Go and pray. Just go and sit and spend time with them. FaceTime. It's just happening all the time. And we will keep helping because no matter how powerful you are, you cannot do it alone. Now, I'm going to say that again. No matter how powerful, how strong you are, Joshua and Beth, two of the strongest people I know, but they cannot do it alone, nor should they. So what can be said of the church? The people, not of the building. We're celebrating all over our city and all over the world on a Sunday morning that where there is lack of hope in our community, that we are there to carry the burden. Because when Christians are here, Jesus is here. And when Jesus is here, hope is here. So here's some good news. When we love one another in this way, we fulfill what Jesus called the most basic law that's required of us. We love God with our whole heart, and in turn, and in turn we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus said all of the law and the prophets could be hung on that one command. I don't know if you know this, but that sounds like hope. Does that sound like hope to you? A hope that no matter where we find ourselves today, that Jesus offers us rest and peace and that we don't have to go it alone. So when we invest in the relationships God gives us within the church, we find help in living within our margins. Sometimes we need someone to help us say no. No to the things that occupy our time that shouldn't. No to the things that occupy our attention that shouldn't. No to the things that occupy our resources that shouldn't. And so as I close, I just want to remind you that sometimes we need someone to remind us that we are loved by God and that is enough. Sometimes we need someone to help us slow down and rest in the grace of God. So are you weary today? Are you burdened by life? Come to Jesus and find rest. You don't have to do this life alone, and we are in this together, and that is one of the things that gives us hope. So this morning, as I get ready to wrap this up, I feel like there are two kinds of people in the room and maybe online as we minister out there. One is a believer, a person who is a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been a follower for a long time. Maybe it's been a short time. But you are in Christ. What do you need? I think you need a reminder of who Jesus is to you when you need hope. Not that he will give you hope, because he does, but that he is hope. Not that he will give you peace, but that he is peace. And when he lives inside of you, you have that at any moment you need it. You just have to call on him for it. So maybe you just need an encouraging word. Maybe you need prayer, sometimes some practical help. You need to be reminded that, I, that you're not by yourself, that you're in this with your brothers and sisters and you're not alone. And secondly, in the room and online, I believe there are people who are not yet believers, not yet Christ followers. Maybe you know Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. So what do you need? I came across this really interesting phrase as I was researching this message. It's from a pastor, and he said this. He said, before you can receive the benefits of who Jesus is, you must profess who he is. So what does that mean? The gospel is free, but it's not automatic. I'll say that again. The gospel is free. Jesus provided for us. But the benefits and what we receive from the gospel are not automatic. There's an amazing inheritance for those who are in Christ. Scripture says it like this, forget not his benefits. 
and there are many. God's mercy and his grace, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of righteousness that comes from God, God's loving kindness and his tender mercies, justice when we're oppressed, a life redeemed from destruction. All of his promises are available, but not necessarily automatic. Rest and peace, rescue from my sin and my brokenness, they're, auto, they're, they're available, but they're not necessarily automatic. You can't receive an inheritance without receiving the person who gives the inheritance. So the gospel is simple. So I'm going to wrap it up with just six things about the gospel, just an outline, if you will. And maybe you've never heard the gospel. Maybe you've never heard the good news. Maybe you've gone to church a lot. Um, I, I remember uh, a revival we were part of down in Pensacola. A pastor got saved. He'd been a pastor for 25 years. And he, sh- he got baptized, and he shared his story. He'd been to seminary the whole nine yards. And what was so fascinating to me about that story, one, was his willingness to admit the fact that he knew a lot about Jesus, but he had never known him or let Jesus know him. And what's really interesting is when he made that profession of faith and gave his life to Jesus, his church fired him. <laughs> and I thought, how interesting that they were cool with a pastor who didn't know Jesus for 25 years, but the moment he got saved, they didn't want him anymore because they were embarrassed. I think, I wonder, what, I wonder what that did, right, for him, and I wonder where he went. I wonder that, but I know where he's going, and that's important. So let me just give you six things about the gospel. Number one, there is one God, he is the creator, he is holy, and he is worth knowing. Such a God is worth our pursuit. Deuteronomy says, acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. Isaiah 46 says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So often what we do is we make God out to be like us. And he says in numerous places, I am altogether not like you. You can become like me, but I am not like you. Helpful to know the difference. Number two, everyone is a sinner separated from God. We know this. We have no idea, though, often how unholy we are in comparison to the holiness of God. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Isaiah 59 puts it like this. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. That's a frightening place. Number three, there's a penalty for walking away from God, for breaking the laws that he's given. The penalty is judgment in hell. And I wish that weren't true. I wish the Bible said something different. I wish God revealed something else. But that's just the truth of it. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews 9 says something really interesting. It says, just as people are destined to die once, there's a physical death. He says, after that, we have to face judgment. Romans 14 says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. But number four, the good news, Jesus paid that penalty for everyone who would believe in him and place their trust in him. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love. He shows us. If you want to know God's love, he's shown it to us. He demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hear this, that before you ever tried to clean up, before you even thought about trying to be good, in your worst moment, in your worst sin, that's when Jesus said he died for us. 
First Peter says it like this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, not over and over, but one time for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Remember Jesus said you're going to exchange a yoke, and this is part of what he's talking about. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And number five, no one can earn God's forgiveness and favor. This we know, most of us. Ephesians says it very clearly. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. God's grace, his favor upon you, not anything you've done, and it goes literally says that. It says, grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. There's only two kinds of righteousness. There's the gift of righteousness, and there's self-righteousness. One brings judgment, brokenness, the, all the stuff we were talking about that makes us weary, and the other one brings life and rest and peace. Titus 3 says it like this. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's where that phrase, born again, comes from. You must be born again. And that's the scripture that speaks to one of those aspects of it. And lastly, number six, because of all this, in light of all this, we should respond with faith and repentance. We should turn from sin and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Mark 1 says the time has come. When Jesus first starts preaching, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near you. Repent and believe the good news. Most people, when they hear that word repent, they have something in their head about feeling really, really sorry and and crying at the altar or whatever that looks like, and that is a part of repentance, to feel sorry for your sin. But the word literally means to take on a new mind. You have to think differently. That yes, we're all worthy of the judgment that comes upon us because of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness. We have done that. It has been done to us, but at some point we have chosen sin and we pushed ourselves away from God. But in light of that, God came and said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to take away all of the sin of the world so there's nothing in the way of you coming to me. John 3.16, probably the most famous scripture that we have, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus did something on the cross, and when he died, he said, it is finished. Well, what was finished? All, all of the wrath that God had for us because of our sinfulness, which we rightfully deserved, was placed on Jesus on the cross. And he, God, exhausted his wrath upon his own son, Because he loved you so much. And Jesus went and took that wrath upon himself. Why? Because he wanted to be with you. Now think about that for a second. We deserve every terrible thing that could come. And the judgment, we deserve hell. We know that. Something inside of us knows I'm not where I ought to be. But something also inside of us wants to believe the gospel but the danger of it is, because it's, it's in the meaning, that it's almost too good to be true news. That you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with the news of the gospel. You can't, you can't do anything with news except accept it or reject it. You, can't, it's, you don't make the news. 
You either, unless you're in a tornado in Alabama, and then they'll put you on the camera, right? (laughs) You can't make the news. You can only receive it or reject it. There's a pastor in Washington, D.C. His name's Mark Deaver, and he created a summary of the gospel, and I just want to read this. It says, the good news is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his image to know him, but we sinned and we cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking upon himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in Jesus, the finished work of the cross. He rose again from the dead, showing that God had accepted Christ's sacrifice. Listen to this. And that God's wrath against us had been fully exhausted. Man, that is good news. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. And if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life and an eternal life with God our Father. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask for you you guys to pray with me. I would love, if you've never done this, to put your faith, as I pray, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus The words I'm going to pray are not magic. It's not some incantation that magically saves you. It's just a help for you to pray and say, you know what? I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to actually stop trusting in my own strength and put fully my strength into him. If you're ready to do that, in just a second, I'm going to pray. But let me tell you what's going to happen when you do. When you place your trust in Christ, he will take away your sin because he already has. 2,000 years ago, all the wrath was poured out on Christ. So if you receive his gift of righteousness, there's no more wrath from you. But if you try to live in your own self-righteousness, the Bible says that the wrath of God still abides on you. Why? Because the wrath is poured out on Jesus. If you receive it for yourself, you receive his grace. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus and there's none left for you. But if you choose not to receive God's way, what Jesus did on the cross, then in your own self-righteousness, you think you're good enough and you're not. And the Bible says the wrath of God still sits upon you. But he will take away your sin if you trust in him, and he will give you Jesus' right standing with the Father. And here's the interesting thing. Nothing will be in the way anymore of you coming to the Father. One of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews says that um, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace for help in time of trouble or need. Why? Because grace is free, but it's not automatic. But once you've received his grace, once you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, that his work, his finished work on the cross was enough, then every benefit that God has for you as a son is now your inheritance, and it's available to you. So as you follow him, his inheritance will be released more and more into your life. Rest will come, peace will come, because every sin you ever committed will have been washed away and taken away, and the only thing left is God's goodness and his kindness and his love and his inheritance for you. Isaiah 1.18 says it like this, come now and let us reason together. He won't force you to make the decision. We won't force you. We present the gospel because it's good news. I've trusted in it. It's changed my world, my life forever. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, and they are, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white like wool. Another passage says that God takes your sin because of what Jesus has done on the cross, and he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore. As far as the east is from the west, your sins will be separated from you. Nothing be in the way for you to come into the presence and the love and the mercy and every blessing that comes from our Father. That is the gospel, and it's good news. Hope is here. Hope is here for you. But you have to receive the one who gives the hope. So I want to pray and uh, close our service. And if you want to pray that prayer, I would love for you to pray that. You don't have to come up here. It's not necessary. The altar's not magic either. (laughs) The red seats are not magic. What's powerful is your heart truthfully and honestly open before the Lord. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, I need you. Thank you for the cross. Now I put my faith and my trust in the finished work that you accomplished on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you took all the wrath that was supposed to come onto me, Lord. You took it upon yourself. So Jesus, I just say thank you for dying on the cross and making a way back into the family of God for me. So Jesus, I put my trust and my faith in what you have done and say thank you, Lord. Thank you that now my life will be changed. My life, Lord, I'll receive the benefits and the goodness and the mercy of God be poured out upon me. Thank you for the inheritance that comes in Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. Next week, we're going to continue this series, Hope for the Broken. I I hope that you come back and be a part of that. Uh, I would love for you to invite someone. It's a great season to invite someone into this, this season and this time with us for an opportunity to hear this great gospel. Invite some friends, invite guests. Hope for the broken. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you guys are here. In just a few minutes, we're going to have our prayer team up here. If you need breakthrough, if you need prayer in any way, if you're here with us in the room, we'd love to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer of faith in Christ, I'd love for you to come and tell me. I'd love to celebrate with you. For those of you who are online, if you need prayer, go to Dothan CF, our website, dothancf.com. Click on the little button that says prayer, and we'll get somebody to pray for you as well. So let's pray. Jesus, we just say thank you now for your mercy and your kindness. God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that hope has been made available to me because of what you've done. Lord, that every benefit that I have, Lord, every benefit that I have comes from you, and I just want to say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great weekend.